This morning we begin a sermon series on the Shema itself, and we will begin looking at the importance of beginning with God. Would you please remain standing as I read the scripture this morning from Deuteronomy 6. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses has just given the Ten Commandments to the people. Beginning in verse 1, these are the words of the Lord. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land. A land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. When I went away to college, I first was sent a great packet of information where I had to sift through several things, including roommate survey forms and class assignments and things like this. And then we got to the list of classes that we would be required to take in our freshman year. And one of those classes was a writing class that was required for all students. So naturally, I sifted through the list of course descriptions to find the courses that had the least books assigned to them. When I made it to campus, I found that I had won that great prize of the class with only three books assigned during the semester, and so I was so excited. And when we sat at this small table of 15 students, the professor asked why we selected his class, and over half the students named that same reality, that we had chosen his class because it had the least assigned readings. We were then shocked to discover that we had a paper to write every two weeks. As we lamented this reality, he assured us with good wisdom and logic that in high school we waited to the last minute to write a paper, as is custom for most students. So he assured us if we just began that process earlier on, there would be no trouble. Quickly, we adapted to college life and learned that we could actually start papers a little earlier and finish them in plenty of time. We were comforted to discover this reality, and classes became much easier until we started taking business classes, to which the problem wasn't the span of time we had for the paper, but the span of people involved in that project. See, quickly, projects became a group project, and our business professor assigned us a paper with, yes, six different students who would be writing that five-page paper. Now, all of you who are good in math know that that's less than a page per person, and it's hard to get anything started in about that time. And the first assignment we turned in was lots of separate different assignments melded together with one connecting verse or sentence in between, to, to which we got a lot of red marks and instruction on how to do this assignment. 
Our next solution was to have one person write the entire paper, which our professor soon discovered. We argued that it was a much more productive and efficient way to write a paper, and that our final product was a lot better. He then reminded us the point of the project was not just to have a good paper, it was to learn to work together. This morning, as we look at the Shema, we see first and foremost in the heart of God for us, the call not to be productive and get things done, but the call to be together with him. It is not just with him, but it is with one another. And as this is where we turn in the scriptures this morning. Stephen Covey in Seven Highlights, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People suggests to us to begin with the end in mind. We've all heard that quip, it's not the destination, it's the journey. I think God would agree that these writers knew more of what they were talking about than they let on. As God himself classically begins with the end in mind and focuses not so much on the destination but the journey itself. Come away with me back to the beginning of all things in Genesis 1, where the Bible starts in the beginning and God begins to create the heavens and the earth. And he says, each time with whatever he creates, it is good. And then he creates man and he says, for the first time, it is not good. And more specifically, he said it is not good for man to be alone. Then he remedies this problem, creating Eve. And quickly we have more community than we had before. Not just us with God, but us with one another. And a new level of community is built. God always begins with himself. And we should too, as we saw last week when David shared these new articulated core values of our church that are in fact not new but very old, arguably dating back to that Genesis 1 story which we look at this morning. He started off in his STARS acronym with the word sons and daughters. Those words bring for us a very intimate and familial phrase, a person, personal connection with one another that we know so very well. And this is what God welcomes us to primarily in order and in importance. He always calls us his own and calls us to be with him. We see this reality throughout time, even how God is identifying himself for us. One of the names of God, which we all know from the Old Testament scriptures, is Emmanuel, God with us. There's this reality of a God who longs to be with us and for that comes to us. We see this throughout the scriptures. Moses says to God as he starts to leave after delivering them from Egypt, Moses says, where are you going? If you are not with us, how are we different than anyone else on the face of the earth? There is this presence of God that shifts the atmosphere, that changes things, and not only things, but us as well. God steps it up a notch in this plan of him being with us by sending his son, incarnational ministry, as theologians call it. Dumbed down, it means that God is with us as I love to read the message Eugene Peterson says, and then God took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. There is this reality in Jesus that we see God himself coming, taking on the form of the man, rubbing shoulders with us, 
interacting face to face, we see the image of young John the disciple laying on Jesus' breast at the table. There is this intimate connection. Can you imagine John hearing the heartbeat of God himself? But God does not stop at this. Jesus says, no, I can't stick around with you 12. I've got to go to the Father. Actually, there's better things to come than me being here with you. I'm going to go and be with the Father so I can pour out the very Spirit of God upon all flesh. Paul goes on to write about this reality of the Holy Spirit that we, we ourselves, our own very bodies are the temple of God for his spirit where he longs to dwell. This connection with God is deepening ever so more to all these degrees. God is coming more and more for us. And we know that ultimately he has a plan to come back and return. But as Jesus reminds us in John 17... This union with God, this knowing him, is not something that he calls us to wait for, for the new Jerusalem coming down. No, he says he equates this knowing him with eternal life in John 17. So what of this call to life? Is it just a call of resting and being with God? No, it's also a call to productivity, to doing certain things. And scriptures make this clear. He says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has made us on purpose, but he has also very purposely stated, you are not my hired hands. Jesus says to us, I have not called you to be slaves. I have called you friends for a friend knows his master's business. God comes to us to share us with us all these plans. And first and foremost, they are plans with us together. I have a friend who's married and has two young children, and so he and his wife don't get to spend much time together. So when they're doing mundane tasks like going to the grocery store, he'll walk in, split the list in half, and say, I'll meet you back at the front. I'll take the top half. You take the bottom half. To which time he discovers That the point of the trip to the grocery store is not about getting things done quickly, but it is about being with his spouse. So he, in some frustration, patiently and calmly walks the aisles of the grocery store as they chat and catch up. It's a group project, you see. It's not just about getting things done quickly. It's about doing things together. So I have a few suggestions for us this morning that stuck out to me and how we think of this almost duality of productivity and relationship, which I think God holds hand in hand so well. We see in John 15 when Jesus says, I am the vine and you, or he's talking to us, we are the branches. And he talks about the reality of the vine. He says, The branches cannot survive apart from the vine, and the branches bear much fruit as part of the vine. And we all know that the nutrients come from the vine. And if the branches are cut off or separated from the vine, what does Jesus tell us? Apart from me, you can do nothing. There is this reality that God knows that first and foremost to the things he has called us to, we need a deep and intimate connection with him 
I often notice that people are using the phrase, doing things for God. And I don't think this is bad in a sense. Our own David Magnitsky uses the comparison to his dog who brings dead animals from the backyard to his door like a love offering for him and then waits for his praise and recognition of the works he has done. It seems to me that God is always inviting us to do things with him. Like my friend's spouse in the grocery store, God is not looking for a really productive afternoon and the idea of getting things done. But I can venture to say that it is productive in the idea of connecting with us. The one thing that I believe that we can offer to God is ourselves. And he allows us to say no. It is in one sense the one thing that God allows us not to be under his rule and reign in the sense of he gives us free choice. So in this reality of being more about relationship than productivity, I think being with God also means to do the things he has called you to and not just good things. Oswald Chambers writes of this seeming confusing situation, a step of great maturity in my opinion. Oswald distinguishes between the general things that are good and the specific things to which God calls us to, which I would suggest they require a very deep and knowing connection with God himself. So how can we start down this path? How can we discover these things to which God has called us to? There's a situation in a friend's episode where Joey is trying to date a girl that's much more intelligent than himself. So, so <laughs> I think we've hit somebody where they live. Uh, so Ross counsels him on a guideway through the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And being an actor, Joey memorizes all the lines. And so Joey's practicing with Roz, and he walks him through all the lines. And at one point, Roz is amazed at his accuracy, and he stops him, and he says, do you have any idea what you're talking about? And he says, no, it's just like lines in a park. So they go on the date, and Roz is all excited. He says, how did it go? And Joey says, oh, she seems so confused. The whole time is very odd. And later Ross talks to this woman who's his colleague. And she said, he knew a lot about art, but he wasn't talking about anything we were seeing. (laughs) To which Ross responds, when you walked in the Met, did you go left or right? And she says, we went left. And Ross buries his hands, his head in his hands. The one thing he was supposed to do at the beginning was to go right. I believe this is an image for us in how we start our days with God. Um, I ask myself often in doing things like this, do I start my day with a to-do list of things I need to get done, or do I start my day with a time with God? If our call to life is productivity, then we're likely starting our day with a list. If our call to life is to be with the Father, then we're likely starting our day with worship and prayer. Um, Another step in practice in doing this is not asking God to bless 
the things we've done, or the ideas that we've come up with, but asking God for his ideas and his direction. And I believe this helps lead us to the God, the things that God has called us to, not just the good things. Um, being in community is a huge part of this role. It's being a part of other people and discovering how we fit together. I, I always like to hear, I feel like there's this sometimes this debate uh, in church. Are we talking about structure or are we talking about freedom? I would say most things with God like this are a both and. Uh, we see in heaven this great healing, this great freedom, this great interaction. Paul says, now we know in part, then we, will, we shall know fully. But there's also great structure in heaven. If you look in the scriptures when it talks about the new Jerusalem descending, there's even measurements given for heaven. And our God is a God of order. When the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters, he brings order out of chaos. Uh, I always like to use the example. People talk about, we don't want it to be too structured. We want this growth to be organic. Ask your, your kid's biology teacher what organic looks, looks like. It's very structured. And there is a structure to the body of Christ. There is an order to how we get things done. If, if you dig into the scriptures about giftings in 1 Corinthians 12 and the ordering and structure of offices in Ephesians 4, there is a purpose and a plan for how God has made each one of us and how we are called to live. And discovering more of that helps us discover the specific things to which God has called us to. Finally, in this journey of relationship first, in, in this life of group projects that are messy and hard to do, I'd invite you to consider the fact that we are giving up a lot of control and we're giving up, in a sense, a lot of effi potential efficiencies in the interest of relationships. We're prioritizing people and not products, just as God does. We're prioritizing love and not just productivity. Yes, productivity comes, and I'm not, never going to throw that out, but at the end of the day, I have realized that so much of this requires me to slow down and to receive grace and to give grace because we're, we are forgiven people, but we're still struggling. And we're in need of one another's help and certainly God's help. What I notice when I look at this priority first of God calling us to these things we need a lot of grace, but we have a lot of grace. God has given us all we need in him and bids us first always to come to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you that you are first and foremost about relationship with us. Father, thank you for the gift of your Son and your Spirit that make all of this possible. Father, thank you that this is less of a striving to receive and more of a, a surrender to receive from you. Lord, we bless you for your love for us. We thank you for this call, and we thank you that we are never alone in this, that you always call us first to yourself and then to one another. And Father, thank you for your promise that you never leave us nor forsake us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.